This is Performance Delivered, insider secrets for digital marketing success with Stefan Horst and Dave Antiel. Welcome to the Performance Delivered, insider secrets for digital marketing success podcast, where we talk with marketing and agency executives and learn how they build successful businesses and their personal brand. I'm your host, Stefan Horst. The topic for today's episode is Driving Full Funnel Impact, the Marketer's Guide to Revenue Systems. Here to speak with me is Ahin Thomas, who is the VP of Revenue at League Apps, an operating system and community for youth and local sports leaders that provides them with the technology and professional network they need to succeed. Ahin is a GTM lead that drives success through the system side of the discipline. The last two outcomes were a cloud storage IPO and a deep dish pizza PE transaction. Ahin, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Pleasure to be here. Well, the pizza thing kind of made me hungry all of a sudden, I have to say. Um, <laughs> anyway, before we, before we talk about um, how to drive full funnel impact, tell us a little bit more about yourself. How did you get started uh, in your career and what led you to you know, running revenue at League Apps? Yeah. Uh, oh, it's revenue operations, but uh, I, I like to think of it as that that's the important thing. Uh, <laughs> I got bad news. We're going to talk more about pizza. So I got started in my career as a songwriter which is obviously a total natural and linear arc to revenue operations in SaaS. I was a songwriter and was writing pop music and loved the art of storytelling. That, that's what drove, drove me. Unfortunately, as I progressed in that field, I realized what didn't drive me is working with musicians. So I thought to myself, what, okay, where do I get a chance to tell stories? And a mentor of mine, his name is Pat Connolly, was the founding CMO at William Sonoma. So I thought to myself, oh, I should go be the CMO of William Sonoma. I've been, I've been in his many fine homes. Um, and so that'll be a great job. So off I'm going to go to business school uh, to get, go, get into retail to go become the CMO of William Sonoma, uh, which was my literal essay. Um, I did end up going, I went to Wharton, went to Sears Holdings after that with Pat's help. Uh, and then uh, started a direct-to-consumer uh, data co-op for the wine industry. And so it's there, I'm figuring out, okay, retail, e-commerce, I get to tell stories, it's about brand. But then I needed to sell these ad tech tools to the wine industry. And at that point, I realized, wait a minute, uh, kind of if you're selling frying pans to a cook or you're selling ad tech to a small winery owner, you are fundamentally trying to understand someone's problem and tell them how your little widget or thing can solve it. So then I realized, wait a minute, B2B, B2C, it's all, it's all very similar from that, that storytelling standpoint. And that was interesting. And frankly, at the time, not a lot of nerds were going into SaaS. So um, now I'll fast forward a little bit. Uh, at that startup, uh, we we made it to, until our Series B, and then didn't make it further. We talk about it in the past tense. It's called the Vintners Alliance, and then started going into infrastructure first at a commerce platform, and then at a cloud storage company called Backblaze. And the insight there was okay, you know, using storytelling to help people solve their problems. Um, Backblaze was a great, great. I uh, was the first uh, non-founder executive at Backblaze, a uh, cloud storage company. I was running marketing there. Great success story competing against Microsoft, Amazon, and Google in you know, the core cloud storage market, bootstrapped. Uh, and we took Backblaze public in 2021. Um, so that was a lot of fun. And then I reflected on that, the successes uh, we had there, Neelay, 
Patel is my VP of sales. And I realized the revolutionary idea that what really helped us drive success uh, and at Backblaze at the time, 90% of our revenue was from inbound and content marketing. Um, but then it was a sales assisted motion. And so it was synchronizing the go to markets is what really drove, drove our success. It turns out I'm not that good of a marketer. And so that gets me into the revenue operations, this idea of I want to, if I can synchronize the go to market motion to tell the story of what we think we can solve in the customer's life, good things will follow. I've since applied that at the uh, frozen pizza company because cloud stores, frozen pizzas, again, a total natural transition. And by the way, Lou Malnati, shout out. And we're at League Apps now, which I'm thrilled to talk about, but I've done a lot of talking. So let me pause and ask if that all made sense. It totally makes sense. Yeah. Now, for people that are not so familiar with what revenue operations is, can you can you dive a little bit deeper into that? Yes. Well, for, for your audience that is not familiar with revenue operations, I would say congratulations, you win. Because it is a completely made up profession uh, or discipline. Uh, and depending on who you ask, it will, uh, it will mean different things. It can, uh, on one end of the scale, it is sales operations has rebranded to revenue operations, which is fine. And I don't begrudge them because sales and revenue usually go hand in hand. At the other end of the spectrum, which is where my definition lies, it is the operations for your sales, marketing, and customer success team. Breaking that down even further, it, it is the revenue, the technology systems that, that are ultimately involved in those operations, as well as the data and insights. Because in the end, to, to run holistic full funnel uh, analytics, the systems all need to be talking to each other. So my definition of revenue operations is that idea, whatever you would define as your revenue organization, let's take their tech, the data insights, centralize that in one place you get some some scale from in your org design um but i think more importantly it's a way to force alignment across the revenue teams yeah do you start off with defining processes and and, and work streams before you look for systems or do you go the other way around other way around i i find you know this is funny you know for any fledgling revenue operators out there here's the secret to getting the job you talk to the CEO and you say, or the CFO, and you say, I think we over-engineer our, our systems and processes. Um, and as a recovering marketer, I'll be pejorative of my marketing colleagues. When a marketer says, I want to do ABM, that actually doesn't mean anything. Mm -hmm. And it surely doesn't mean, and you know, look, John Miller and Gageo, and before that, um, Marketo, he's done amazing work. But it doesn't mean I need to bring Bolt on this massive SaaS automation solution on top of my marketing on existing one. So it's all about what are we trying to do? How are we trying to do it? And, you know, in this way, the revenue ops discipline is engineering product centric in that. Tell me about your problems. Let me figure out how to solve it, as opposed to leading with, I went to this great sushi dinner, so now we need to sign up for a year subscription of Thing X. Yeah, yeah. I like the idea that, that the operations part goes across sales and marketing because I think a lot of times sales and marketing are not properly communicating with each other, right? They, they use different systems. They don't pass information back and forth. And by, by looking, at it, looking at it 
the operation side across both, you kind of align both. There, there's already a communication happening from a system perspective. And I would assume when you do that, you also get the sales and marketing teams to communicate better with each other. That's right. I mean, you know, there's a, the old stereotype, you know, sales and marketing were like cats and dogs. Yeah, you know, as a marketer, I can't believe my sales team can't, can't close all these amazing leads I send them. And as a sales leader, it's like, you know, if I could just get a freaking good lead every once in a while, we could really do something. But everyone's fundamentally motivated. You, you come from a place of we want the company to succeed. Mm -hmm. But the, as you said, that coordination and the metrics that most teams guide to actually are not helpful. Picking at the top of the funnel, you know, marketing might say, listen, we've generated a thousand leads today. And it turns out 990 of those leads were some campaign gone wrong that has nothing to do with your customers. So what sales sees is I only got 10 inbound leads today. And of those 10, one of them is actually a whale. You know, and one of them came maybe from the AdWords non-brand campaign we're running. The other, all these other ones are complete trash. Well, if marketers don't get that feedback loop, they might think the 990 was what drove the revenue. Um, and, you know, there are plenty of versions I can give from that, the sales standpoint, too. Both have to be true. Yeah, I think you just made a good point. It's, it's, it's that kind of, I see that quite a lot when talking to clients that, um, you know, you talk to marketing, it's like, well, we're looking for leads. And then when, when you start the conversation with sales, you get a different view, you get a different voice, basically. And, and at the end, it's, it's about what comes out at the bottom, right? It's, it's how many opportunities, how many sales are you generating out of the leads that marketing sends to them? You know, you can overwork the sales team by spamming them with a lot of crap leads and then they still need to be qualified, um, which takes time. Or you can fine tune your marketing activities in, in a way that you focus more lead generation on, on the type of leads that actually have a higher likelihood of converting, basically. Exactly. For that, need, for that you need information from the sales side in order to do you, that. You need information and you need common information because now let me add more complexity to our lives. It may turn out that lead generation is not a problem. Conversion is. Mm -hmm. and, and by the way, you know, we put the full power of a marketer's mind, their storytelling, their, their ability to syndicate the content. And by that, I mean, yes, I'm going to send an email, but I'm also going to coordinate my banner ads and YouTube retargeting and mm -hmm. all that good stuff. You put that on in the mid, particularly on an enterprise sale, on the mid funnel when, you know, right around when the BDR is trying to get the demo scheduled, mm -hmm. your conversion rates are going to go up. Of course. And that two days worth of effort may mean more to us than an incremental 10 leads that are coming down a leaky bucket. Um, and so if you can get the leaders in the same room at the same time, looking at the same metrics, then Again, we all, frankly, if the company succeeds, our equity goes up, we're all going to get paid. So let's just do that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, look, I, I quite often, I'm in a situation when we start working, we drive less leads and then yeah. they start to, to freak out. It's like, well, before we had a hundred, now you're driving 50. And then we're looking at what happens with the leads actually. Well, yeah, but out of the 50, you have two or three times as many sales. Right. Isn't that better? Instead of having to increase your sales force because you all have the leads that need to be worked, but they are actually a very small likelihood of converting. So now you get leads that, that you can focus on, that you can work hard and that, that at some point become a sale. 
That's right. And, you know, look, activity-based metrics have a, and kind of volume-based metrics have a purpose. Don't get me wrong, but I love that example because you're like, I'm sorry, did we want more form fills today or did we want more customers? Yep. And we actually need to decide which one we're optimizing to. Mm-hmm. Now, what is to talk about full funnel impact um, today? What systems are required to drive full funnel impact? That's a great question. So I, I think, you know, look, the, the obvi- let's do the obvious ones and then we'll see how far you'll let me nerd out on data infrastructure. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, so the obvious ones are, you know, if, we're, if I'm thinking about a SaaS context, uh, and, and these are generally applicable, but I'm going to need um, some sort of web analytics. Mm-hmm. Google, you know, and GA4 is a whole, GA4 in the privacy-centric world brings a whole host of challenges. Yep. Um, for, as a, another quick vendor shout out, I, I love Fueled.io, um, which is uh, a, you know, a GA4 implementation that helps you go first party on the scripts. But you need web analytics. Those web analytics generally are going to go into some marketing automation system, which candidly I prefer to call the email machine. And you know, then your sales team is going to need a CRM. I actually, from a product standpoint, have a lot of criticism of uh, Salesforce, but it's kind of irrelevant, right? Uh, because if you make a decision to not go with Salesforce as your CRM, uh, then you're making decisions about how you even are able to hire and train sales reps. Um, most most companies, you know, certainly pr- in the gr- through the growth stage, don't want to deal with that. Yeah. The one thing on the on the and, and then you know on on the there's actually way more choices on a support uh, support level, but let's just call it Zendesk because that's similar to Salesforce, probably what you're going to choose. The one big caution I, I make when selecting systems is your your marketing automation and sync to your CRM is going to be very complicated and hard no matter what selection of vendors you choose. And there are technical reasons behind that that have to do with relational databases. But in the end, even if you stay inside the Salesforce ecosystem, this kind of marketing to sales sync is very, very difficult. Mm-hmm. Totally solvable. But you know the, the idea of, well, I'm going to stay inside the Salesforce cloud is going to make my life easier. In practice, I have not found that. Mm-hmm. So there's always a discussion around, should you have one system that can do a lot mm-hmm. to make that integration part disappear, right? Because if you, if you let's use HubSpot, for example, you know, HubSpot yep. gives you DRM, it gives you a sales system, you can do content, you can do social. I mean, there are so many features the system has that basically makes the integration part almost disappear because they're connecting already, you know, organically or automatically with each other. Um, where are you? Are you in favor of having a system that can do a lot so that you don't have so many different systems? Or are you rather looking at what systems are the best to achieve my goal and then I find a way to kind of connect them with each other? Um, the latter. Uh, I, I start from what, what, what systems are best to achieve my goal. And, and obviously, you know, if you all else equal, um, having one less system is better. But the reason I, I try to optimize from what is best to achieve my goal is kind of fundamentally one, because I believe that's most likely to grow the company. But probably more importantly, two, to have full funnel impact, you actually have no choice but to deal with the integration problem. 
Mm-hmm. And this gets to your data infrastructure because actually the HubSpot marketing automation to their CRM is probably, uh, I'm, I'm imagining you chose that uh, for a specific reason, which is it's probably the one thing that comes closest to satisfying kind of marketing and sales needs. It actually does sync. But you still need to be able to pipe in both information from the web, even if you're using the HubSpot forms. Mm-hmm. And the real gotcha is you're going to need to have some sense of information coming from your billing system. And so at that moment, you you have to make a decision about your integration and data infrastructure architecture. Mm-hmm. And as you make that decision, I'm happy to talk about how I think about it, that then you've crossed the chasm into, well, I need to pipe data from one system to another. So now the barrier to having two to three systems is much lower. Mm-hmm. So how do you think about that? I, th- I think about it, uh, and I think the vast majority of companies um, should think about it in a hub and spoke model. Mm-hmm. You know, there, 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 are, there are many buzzwords and jargon and approaches to this data mesh, the hub and spoke, hybrid, all of them are valid. But in the end, 98% of successful companies, I can talk about the 2%, are best off going with the hub and spoke model. And this is one of the big secrets to, um, to having full funnel impact. It's, a, it's an ego question because it turns out the hub is none of the systems. Your hub is your data warehousing infrastructure. If you keep your hub as an independent system, your data warehousing, then that becomes the source of the truth. And you can federate the truth across any number of systems using out-of-the-box technologies. And, And again, more importantly, I think on the marketing and CS side and the sales side, vendors come and go. The best in class for solving a given problem changes every three to five years. And then your problems might actually change every one to two years. So there is no permanent answer. Having an architecture based around hub and spoke makes your switching costs incredibly lower. It creates a world where your data actually is unified. So as you bounce from system to system, you get the same revenue number which is a profound unlock and it's it's um reliable in that you don't get the scenario where oh my gosh this thing broke six weeks ago and no one noticed and now we have this we have a gap in time Mm -hmm. that makes sense now once you set up your system and once you identify the systems that you need for for your new gig once you set everything up when processes are in place how do you as a marketer figure out what campaigns are actually driving revenue, especially keeping in mind that the privacy issues that we're going to face a year from now, two years from now? Yep. Today. <laughs> or today, yeah. <laughs> so, so I would say, um, you know, there are two, the, my decision tree, I guess the first decision is, am I getting actual revenue feedback in the place where I have kind of campaign level information? And for the purpose of this conversation, let's overly simplify it down to just UTMs. If I do not have a place where I can fundamentally join that information, I kick off a work stream as quickly as possible to make that happen. Because in the end, that is the, um, that is the only way you're going to find out if your campaigns are working. Now, 
life isn't perfect and funding is uh, certainly imperfect, <laughs> even in, in companies with a ton of cash. So when I walk in the door and I'm trying to figure out what campaigns are working or valuable, I just think about the signals that I have, right? I look at sake of the example, let's say our sales cycle is something like 30 days, um, kind of a, a lower ticket. Mm-hmm. Then I can look at our revenue months, you know, what, what, what uh, months does revenue come in? And then I look at the campaigns that are running. You look at Google, things like Google Analytics. Okay, listen, like what, what were the traffic coming in? What do the UTMs say about the traffic in the months where we had revenue spikes? Does it correlate, even eyeball correlate, to what I've been paying for for my campaigns? You know, that's an example of a very simplistic kind of direct response type campaigns. Um, but let me pause. I can go further there or we could take yeah. a turn elsewhere. Yeah, that's, I mean, the question I have here for you is, as we're talking about the full funnel impact, right? And there are media activities or, or, or marketing activities, not to kind of just focus on media, marketing activities that touch different parts of the funnel. How do you approach identifying the value of something that happens on the upper funnel, mid funnel, and lower funnel? I mean, lower funnel, usually you see kind of, oh, there's a conversion happening from the paid search ad, right? Which it's kind of easier to attribute, but how do you look at what happens before when people are discovering a brand and then the products and the services compare it, et cetera. And it's not directly a sale, a lead attached to that. How do you, how do you look at that and how do you associate value of that or assign value to that? Yeah. Yeah. That, that can, you know, it goes from, Oh, well, you just come up with a metric, you know, what information or interaction can I capture this moment in time? That's the best case scenario. Or in the worst case scenario, you have something like what we did at Backblaze, which is, uh, let me describe this motion to you. So I left Backblaze in uh, 2020, end of 2020. So that, that last year, and all this information is public, we drove 3 million unique visitors to our blog, storage focused blog. Zero of it was paid. And there's this mysticism to our funnel where you see these blog visits and then months later you get a big deal and you're listening to the gong recording and you hear, Oh yeah, I've been reading your blog for six months. <laughs> yeah. Okay. How did that happen? Or we were on Reddit with you. Like, wow. And so I, I simultaneously, I approach all of my campaigns with incredible level of skepticism. I'm going to assume this is not working and I'm looking for indicators that, uh, that would change my mind. The second part of it is I do look at those um, interaction points and try to create tests. So what does that mean? You know, in in a content-focused world, one thing we started doing is we said, okay, we don't want to be intrusive. We're not going to put our content behind a gate. Of course, we're asking for an email when you read it, but we also don't want to get in your way. So then we start bucketing the types of content we publish. And we look at, okay, this content was focused on media storage. Uh, And of all the blog posts in the last year that we've had on media storage that we then can kind of trace, oh, here's some email capture, long run. When we close the deal, we ask, how did you hear about us? Those kind of metrics. Mm -hmm. Here's what those blog posts that worked. So identifying something that worked. 
here was their traffic in the first 24 hours after publication. Here was the time on page in the first 24 hours after publication. And so those are the metrics I could grab. And I had to admit to myself, look, these are leading indicators. But if you ask me a, a week into what's fundamentally going to be a three-month campaign, it's the best thing I got. And that lets us start looking at some quantifiable metrics of how it's going. And then we look at a lot of uh, qualitative. One of the best ones is go to the AEs that are relevant for that vertical and for that target audience. If you write with an audience in mind and you just go to your AE, you hand it to them and say, is this something you think you would give to one of our customers? Mm-hmm. Um, and if you're, when your sales team is says anywhere from it eh, could, could work or interesting, that's basically the best compliment a writer can ever get. Um, but more often than not, um, what I found was I'd get feedback with a lot more uh, color and salty language that was, this appears like you're writing to ourselves. Why don't you listen to one of my demo calls and find out how our customers actually talk and what their actual problems are? Yeah, I mean, I think the the, the blog part or developing content is always something that is hard to to tie back to 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 the bottom line at the end of the day. And I think what, what you said makes is indicative of it. It sometimes can take quite a long time till you see whether a piece of content actually contributes to 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 the bottom line, right? Because you know, you might not convert someone on the first touch. They need to get warm or they need to they need to discover you as a company and then how you talk about things, how you think about things to feel comfortable reaching out and starting that sales conversation at the end of the day. And that might take longer than just the you know the 30 day sales window that you have. That's right. And, and, you know, it's another trick, air quotes, uh, air quotes on the trick that I like to use is this kind of gets in the world of brand impressions and brand campaigns. A big thing is, uh, and this is, again, more, more centered on marketers, be plain about what success is. And so another area Neely and I found success, Neely, the VP of sales at Backblaze, is we would sit down, look at our campaign calendar, look at the content calendar actually collaborate on that. And we would flag moments when we could both agree, hey, we are doing this for brand reason X. Mm. And the test we use, uh, it's the, we call it the prison interview, that if our CEO would ask either one of us, why are you doing this? Would we explain it in the same way? And at that point, when you do the, when you have that kind of alignment, you do the brand campaign. Listen, some days you're going to find out, hey, that was horribly wrong. But the, the goal isn't, isn't a high at that percentage. The goal is, listen, if we are, I think, if we are all doing, executing on the same coherent plan at the same time, mm-hmm. in the long run, that's going to work out. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Now, what best practice do you apply to tie elite to dollar, to, to a sale at the end? Yeah, it, well, it, it depends how complicated you want to get. So um, at League Apps, we, we fundamentally sell use software to manage your use sports organization. Mm-hmm. And that can be uh, in a SaaS sale where you have multiple uh, decision influencers. The person that was the initial lead that filled out the form or downloaded the white paper often is not the person whose name is on the close one deal. Yep. And this is the relational database problem. So at that point, you need to, uh, ideally, you need to be able to join 
hey, listen, the, the person who filled out the lead was named Matt, but Matt's boss is Sarah. Sarah made the decision. Do we have an account record with both of those contacts on it? And can we look at the account level? That's what I think of as the right answer, because it, in the end it is. There are more simplistic ways to do it. You know, one step down is, eh, parse the email domain and look at your customer list. Yeah. Um, one step down from that is particularly in kind of lower volume SaaS scenarios. You know, when you when we're talking about a couple hundred deals a month, just make a spreadsheet and do a monthly review of the deals that closed versus the 500 leads that came. You know, it's a two hours of your life. You'll never get back, but yeah. you'll end up with the answer. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I mean, what you just said is obviously one of the most, I would say, common scenarios, right? The people that will use your software are not the ones that sign on the dotted line, right? Those are the champions that, that do the legwork and identify what solutions will be perfect to help them in their day-to-day. And, and kind of you have to sell to them, but you also have to give them information so that they can go to Sarah and can say, Sarah, this is the, the software solution that we want. I looked at ABC, none of them compared to them. Have a look and then basically sell. Yes, and admit our, our limitations or shortcomings. So yes, we're trying to close the Sarahs of the world and cultivating the Sarahs really means getting Matt to make him pitch. Mm-hmm. And so, yes, we look at the blog posts and the Reddit interactions and the, and the tweets and all that good stuff. And the minute in, in the Backblaze case, uh, we, we thought of it as our, our social team. The minute we, they, we could get them to articulate their process, mm-hmm. how they approach it. Okay, well, this is a, there is a de- deliberation here. Then it's much easier to say, you know what? We are allocating in the end 15%, X percent of our resources to this cultivation. And other than looking at how many form fills resulted the next month, I'm actually not going to interrogate, you know, why, why did we host that AMA? I don't know, yeah. but they're delivering their numbers. I trust them on a portfolio level and they're delivering their output numbers and getting that last mile on tracking interactions on uh, Twitter is, you know, incredibly difficult for anybody mm-hmm. and certainly anybody that short of, you know, that has massive, massive data engineering teams that can yeah. focus on that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, we come to the end of today's podcast episode. I, I still have a few questions on my list here, but <laughs> I think we, we run long if we go through those. Um, thank you so much for joining me on the performance of our podcast and sharing your thoughts on driving full funnel impact. Now, if people want to find out more about you, about uh, League Apps, how can they get in touch? Uh, well, one, thank you for having me. This was a ton of fun. Um, appreciate the opportunity for the self-promotion. Uh, with a name like Aheen, I'm an easy guy to find. So, uh, uh, Aheen Thomas on LinkedIn, on Twitter, or in my inbox. I'm old school in that way. Uh, Aheen Thomas at Gmail or A Thomas at League Apps. Um, you know, and then how do you find out about more League about League Apps? LeagueApps.com. And I would say if you are a particularly for those in the audience that are parents, um, youth sports is coming your way. That is an inevitability. Um, and so then there's a question about the software uh, and the, the 
network you tap into and is that network caring about the experience of the athlete which for what it's worth is the league apps angle or is it a profit maximizing thing in a massive high margin industry which i'll paint many of my competitors with that motivation <laughs> i would encourage you to check out league apps we do great uh great uh, access work our, we have a nonprofit that uh, we dedicate not only one percent of our revenue uh, called fun play but also perpetual licensing to our technology and a number of um, volunteers from the, the company. Um, so it's a, it's a great place to be if you are interested in the experience of uh, kids in America. Perfect. Well, as always, we leave that information in the show notes. Thanks everyone for listening. If you like the performance of our podcast, please subscribe to us and leave us a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast application. If you want to find out more about Symphonic Digital, you can visit us at symphonicdigital.com or follow us on Twitter at SymphonicHQ. Thanks again and see you next time. Performance Delivered is sponsored by Symphonic Digital. Discover audience-focused and data-driven digital marketing solutions for small and medium businesses at symphonicdigital.com.